0: So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. Before we start I need to do a shout out to a different podcast, the Lawrence Delalio Rugby Union podcast in partnership with London Pride and The Evening Standard. They were extremely nice and invited me on so you'll have me speaking to Lawrence Delalio, Carol Vorderman and Matt from The Evening Standard and um, you can listen to what I have to say. And I plugged McGuigan and said that I didn't care too much for England. bit more than that but I'll let you listen to it and form your opinions but hopefully worth a listen but it's quite good being able to speak to two of my idols from Boyhood both Carol Vordman and The Numbers and so, as always, you can find us on social media.
1: Yeah, so on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our logo. And on Twitter, it's the same, but it's at Falk on Falcons, and you'll see the same logo.
0: So this week, we'll talk about our performance against Harrison's. And was it a same again or an improvement, but just not quite there? Um, we've got the Premiership Cup coming up against Leicester, so it'll be interesting after that one. And then we'll uh, also talk about the Six Nations, or whether we want to or not, I don't know, but we'll talk about it. And then we'll do a roundup from the uh, the regions' results. So, I have to admit, I was at a wedding on Saturday, and I caught up on the Premiership Rugby website. So, in my Usual style, I fast forward all the stops and play and got the whole match watched within 43 minutes this week. So when you fast-forward all the stoppages and things, the impression I got was that we were in the game for a reasonable amount of time. We weren't kicking the balls them constantly. And at 60 minutes, I was thinking, we could nick this here. This is reasonably, oh, it's not a reasonably good performance. There's still a lot of areas to build on. But we're in the game against Saracens at 60 minutes. And I think that's always a, a good position to be in. There was a notable change in tactics in that we weren't giving the ball to the opposition. But last 20 minutes, or last 10 especially, we just let things get away from us, and the bag tries, I think, flattered them on the scoreboard.
1: I think the the biggest positive, arguably, is what you said there, uh, was the fact that we didn't resort to any of the kicking. I think that was fairly obvious, uh, certainly through the first half. I felt that, I think I'm going to be in the camp here, that I know it's against Saracens, but I think there was a lot there that still wasn't, Good enough. I thought that again at the backs, you know, this time maybe we did get about two or three phases going, but it, it just didn't didn't look it again. Um, it was still you know that last pass, you know, the the knock on, you know, too much side to side. That. That incision, again, just wasn't there. And this Saracens team was not a particularly good Saracens team on the day. They were very much there for the taking. And I, I do think that certainly, I would say, 10 or 11 of the teams in that league would have actually beaten Saracens on the day. You're right in there, obviously, we were very much in touching distance even the head, uh, obviously, a couple of times. But you always knew that Saracens kind of had that in them when they got the ball, when they did get some things going. They did look very dangerous. Um, and they, they have that edge, which obviously we don't have uh, in the backs. Um, again, the forwards were really good, did what they had to do. A couple of really good driving rules. Of course, McGuigan on the score sheet once again. What would you know? What would we do about him? And the scrums were solid. Set piece of it was good. Um, that's where we really kind of held held them or really fronted up to them. But again, it was just in the backs, wasn't it?
0: Well, you said the scrums are solid, That's one of the areas where... In parts of the game, it was a bit jittery. At the start of the second half, there was a phase where two or three scrums in a row, they got penalties, and then we switched things around. I think Brocklebank went on after Murpola went off. I'm not sure if Davison Swap sides. I not. I didn't look at it that closely. But suddenly, from about 60, what, 55, 60 minutes in, the scrums were ours, and every single scrum we were either going forward or getting penalties. Um, the forwards at line-outs, um, when we were attacking, we seemed to be able to attack quite well, effectively, and we saw that with McGuggan's brace. But then... Once again, there's this issue of defending malls and Saracens, they, they always stick more than their pack in. You see the centres and wingers piling in. How do you stop 14 players or 13 or 12 players? It's very difficult, but Saracens just throw the bodies in there and you look across the pitch and it's obvious what's going to happen and they're setting up for it, but how, how do you combat it? It's not, not a straightforward thing to do.
1: No, it's, it's not. Um, and as you say, I think defence was, was good. Up until I mean there was the obvious tackle, but you know, generally defense was pretty good up until they sort of fell apart in, in the last 10 minutes. But you know, having said that, you know, obviously we still, you still know, let them have a fairly routine bonus point win. But it's the other end, it, it's scoring the points, isn't it? You know, without without our driving more, where the tries coming from, when's the last time? Apart from Haydenwood's intercept over to Exeter, when was the last time a back scored a try for us, certainly in the league? You know, and when's the last time they scored through sort of, you know, a, a move in the backs, which just seemed to be completely incapable. And it's frustrating because that Saracen team was very much there for the, for the taking. Um, I don't think we're going to get many of the better chances to beat Saracens at home. And I think that was a really good one. And it's, it's just it's just not there, isn't it? And in some ways, I'm not entirely sure if it's all the players fault. Simply because it's the same every single week and seems to be, I know we, we've just talked about the fact that They didn't do the kicking Which was obviously an improvement But there's something still very wrong there Now I don't know if the fact is Because Richard was now Because Baldwin was coaching you know, the, the whole team Because of Richard's suspension But even without that It's been the same pretty much the vast majority of the season and I don't know how it's going to change between now and the end of the season I mean when where where's the win going to come from um and it, I just thought it was really really frustrating because it, like I say it was a great chance and we just didn't take it we just kind of fell apart at the end and it was just really disappointing actually. Would you
0: put the lack of try scoring down to personnel or due to coaching because I, I was just thinking about th- through there you got with well, cocky cocky's last-minute winner in Beoritz. I'm trying to think. Before that one, it might have been Stevenson against Saracens when he got around the outside of Farrell. But you're right, there's been very little in the way of Bill, either from phases, that was like the Beoritz one where we got over after screening a of the phases together, but that was against quite a poor and young Beoritz team. And the other one, just a, a one-on-one tackle missed to be by the England captain, which was obviously a good feather in Stevenson's cap, but it wasn't a well-worked or training ground move. It was just a, oh, well, that was a missed tackle. We're in the corner. Um, is, it, is it because Orlando and Burrell aren't playing, or is it just that they're not coached correctly or, or what is the, what is the issue? Because it, it is just the, the basics and I'd say, I'm going to blame the sense I have been for a while. I might be a bit misguided in certain respects, but I, I think that that is where a lot of your clin- clinicalism or clinicism or whatever the word is clinicalness. In the backs comes from it's having that ability to suck in defenders on the first phase and get it out wide quickly on the second, and something's going wrong somewhere.
1: If I was to say, I'd probably say it, it is the coaching, um, because I think actually the BT commentary had it right in the Halloween's away game. Is that and it's always useful, you know, when you have someone that, you know looking from outside the club, you know, commenting on these things, and they were making the point that a lot of the individuals are actually can be quite good and do 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 some very good things, but as a collective, or or the backs as a collective, it just doesn't seem to function. And surely that has to be down to the coaching, the preparation, the training, the tactics going in in on on a match day. But I mean, we don't even seem to be getting out. We've always talked about, at least start this season and last season, just how well-stocked and potent our wingers are. You know, our wingers barely feature anymore. Um, I mean, Last, last week, Radwan did, you know, it was spectacular, was probably his try against London Irish when the game's already lost, the away game towards the end of last year. I mean, I don't think it's his fault he's done nothing since then. I mean, against Saracens of the weekend, he could have sat stand in the empty seats next to us and probably wouldn't have made much difference. Earl struggled to get involved in the game. I mean, we have such a, you know, a great amount of talent in the wings, and we've mentioned this so many times, it's just not being used at all. Um, and we, you know, and that—that that is a failure of coaching. That's a failure of tactics to not use, you know, our most potent weapons out there. I mean, the forwards is fine. I mean, we've said that before. They're—they're they're doing good jobs in all circumstances, despite the nine-game losing run, whatever, isn't it? But I think it's got to be down to the coaching, unfortunately.
0: Right, when you watch on TV, there were a couple of moments of brilliance from Radwan, but. It was in the middle of the pitch and there were tons of players around him. So, yeah, he skinned two or three, but then the fourth or fifth caught him. And he needs to get the ball in those positions on the wing where he's got the ability to go around. And that is either people playing heads up rugby and spotting overlaps when they exist or building a style of play that is effective and releases him into that space. And that that has got to be from either players on the pitch inside him not doing the things they're told to or they're not being told to do it. For whatever reason, if they've got a game plan that doesn't involve that, scratch my head and wonder why. But something somewhere, in, in my eyes, should be saying, get the ball in his hands, get the ball in Earl's hands, get the ball in Brown's hands in these wide channels. Yeah,
1: well, that isn't it. It's, so, it's slow, isn't it? It's slow, it's predictable. And it always gets to a stage where even if they do get a couple of phases going, you know, do make a, a bit of ground out there, and it, you, know, you start to get a bit excited. It's almost like they don't expect that to happen and they panic. And you know, the, the pass goes away or they or they knock on or you know they, they try to do an offload which just simply isn't on and they just needed to, to slow it down and be a bit more patient and let our forwards to do what they do best and you know actually threaten the opposition 22 a bit more. But you know, it just seems to be that there's when we get to that point, it just completely falls apart. And You know, we we know that a lot of our individuals aren't world beaters. You know, we know what we are. We've spoken about perhaps why that is, you know, in terms of how far the club can go in recruiting players, etc. But I do think it's down to coaching because you can't just always blame the individuals. And especially, I think one of the main points is the fact there hasn't been a consistent backline for a lot of the season kind of proves the point that it's still the same failings week in, week out. We're not seeing you know, dramatic differences when we get certain personnel in. It just seems to be the same all the time. And that—that that, surely that has to be down to, to coping tactics.
0: I completely agree. And you said things a bit predictable. One thing that is a bit less predictable is the, the lapses in concentration or stupidity, which we do at certain times. I think one of the things we've got to criticise is, for all well, Mike Brown's got a lot going on at the minute. He doesn't help himself when he slaps the ball out of play. Like, it could be argued, was it a penalty try? Was he trying to catch it? Or oh, this... If you're going to try and catch, at least go with two hands and don't do that. To me, it was get he deliberately slapped down a play. I can see the argument for it not being a penalty try, but if I was a Saracens fan, I'd be absolutely furious. And what I would say is, if you're going to you're going to slap it out a play, at make it look how you're doing properly. You could have just caught that and carried it out. He was going over the sideline anyway, or you could have at least tried to catch it and nothing would have happened. But. For whatever reason, he decided to slap it out and he gets 10 minutes in the bin. And that time we lose a penalty try, they get another penalty, and we don't have any of the game. And it's just like, what on earth are you doing with all your experience? It's just almost like two fingers to the fans.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. I mean, as you say, you could have just caught it and just walked out with it. Um, you know, obviously, you just walked dead with it, but like, why didn't you basically you you well just let them score out in the corner? Because then obviously, they've had to take the conversion from the corner. Um, the second half. When McGuigan got down there, Hainwood shows what happens if you have to take a kick from a corner, you know, narrowly missed it. You know, obviously, Good is a very good kicker, but at the same time, it makes it a bit harder. And at the time, especially the game was pretty close, you know, those two points were quite important. And it's just, yeah, it's just absolute stupidity. And you got, to, and you do have to wonder sometimes through, it goes through some players' heads, especially if someone you would think, of his immense experience. And there must have been other times when, especially as a fullback, he was in that position. But I actually thought they were quite slow in getting over to that corner to defend. And I think maybe that kind of it was always a panic because they were quite slow getting again, defending out wide, it would be another weakness this season. And I think it was just a case of panic. But as you say, literally almost could have done anything else. And it still would have been a better outcome.
0: Yeah, um, he may be the most experienced member on the in the squad and all his international cups and whatever. But I do hope in the change rooms he got an absolute rollicking for that and I hope that on Monday morning he was out doing laps of the pitch in the sleet or whatever weather it is at the minute because I know when I did, trained and people got sent off on stupid things you'd be made to pay for that sort of thing at training and have to apologise to your teammates after the match for being such a blummin' idiot. And then one other thing, in the last 10 minutes of play when the game is still actually there for the taking you know, Saracen's got a free kick I've I think it was a scrum infringement, early push or something. And they hoofed it down the pitch and they all let it bounce out into touch into the 22. And you just think, hang on a second, does he just let that happen? Is that a, a 50-22? And yeah, sure enough, it was. not it was just a complete lapse of concentration. I think he just forgot about the law or thought it couldn't be done from a free kick or whatever. But sure enough, Saracen's got the line out and then a few phases later they've scored again. Just think about this, you think, are these professional rugby players or are they people that are trying to grasp the rules and playing it for the first three, three or four matches? And, no, they're, they're professionals and they just don't know the laws or don't think. It's quite worrying. So if we talk about some plus points from the game, I think once again, rolling wall actually worked very well um, in attack. Um, McGuigan, um, I'm not sure that it necessarily required McGuigan to get that back. I think most competent hookers would have scored um, at least one of the tries, probably both. Of them. But um, once again, his line outs, he's nailing his man every single time. Scrums, like we said earlier, very steady ship there. And, um, I think, once again, Robinson and Chick were phenomenal. I think it was Chick's 100th appearance, and it's a shame nothing came of it. But he was, once again, making yards every single time and getting around. He's turned a very handy player. seems to be coming of age. And um, then I also think Hayden Wood, once again, looked very competent. It's just a shame that, as we've discussed, outside him there's not quite as much.
1: Yeah, I thought Hayden Wood and McGuigan well. I mean, obviously McGuigan down over from the end of Maltz, but even in open play, I thought Hayden and McGuigan were most potent attacking threats. Um, they're the ones actually, you know, making ground chick as well, actually, to be fair. Um, actually, you know, making ground all the time um, and making the old break and kind of setting things in motion. Um, I really like Hayden Wood, actually. Um, I know it must be quite difficult for him at the moment, circumstances. I've been a young lad in a team which is losing every week, but I really do like him. I like how he attacks the line. I, I like how he passes. I like how he, how he reads the game, you know. Um, and uh, I I mean he's you know if if we do end up having a really disappointing season this season, I think potentially he's actually the best thing about this season. Um I just think in, he's just getting better and better. And you know he he I think if we'd won that actually, if we'd won I, he would be man of the match, I think. Um I mean I think he's probably our best player out there anyway actually but um yeah I think he is actually the, the main positive actually.
0: Given that it's so i been confirmed Schroeder's going away to Bath um would you just play him and Nordi Kalameti every week or do you think the fact that there's not that stability in Nordi Kalameti is a, an indicator that if Schroeder's going then someone else might be coming in and um, it might be that Nordi Kalameti's not necessarily going to be starting every week match next season, it's pure crystal ball stuff but would you say it's an indicator that they've got something up their sleeve?
1: I mean I would play Nordi Kalameti every week, I mean I would only really play Schroeder in perhaps, you know, for example like the cup game this Friday or if you know, Kelly gets a knock, or you know, if obviously makes some sort of substitution. But the point is, only Kelly starts. Again, I mean, he's never a really good prospect, and him and Haynewood obviously played with each other for many, many years now, and it's a partnership which works. And I, I surely for the future of the club, that's a partnership you want to, you know, develop. And in a season with no relegation, a season where you know now nah, at this stage there's nothing to lose. You know, obviously we don't want to finish bottom, but there's nothing to lose realistically. This is now the time to to give them a go. And, you know it's a bit throwing them in the deep end given the circumstances of our form but you know there's no you know immediately awful consequences for it there's no the relegation for example so I think now is the time if you are going to do it to, to play these teams I, I really want them to start playing the majority of games every week I think like I say I mean, schroeder has gone now don't you really need playing for, for cup games or if anyone's got any well Nori is kind of injured I suppose
0: Yes and um, I think on the, on the Schroeder point I know that you might have seen it from a different camera angle to what I did being in the stadium but they had a the comments on some of his passing at the weekend.
1: Yeah, I thought some of his passing was a bit ridiculous, unfortunately. Um, there was one where in we the second half we were attacking, uh, we were attacking the South Stand, and it looked a bit decent, actually. I got a, you know, did string a few phases together, one of those moments where, where we did actually sort of think, we could be in here. Um, and he did like, this ridiculous pass to Luke Cox's feet And he's sort of He's obviously very You know Agitated and frustrated he's, For example In the end always say to Luke Cox Oh why didn't you Do a better run for that Or whatever And um, I don't know I think it, for me It was more sort of like The body language of it the, the frustration Perhaps on a personal level For him But maybe indicative Of the sort of the team as a whole But I don't know It's just when I see Like when I see things like that Moments like that in particular It just reinforces to me Naughty Kelly he should be starting And you know Fangs obviously for his time with us but you know his time it is coming to an end and you know we've got to be looking we've got to be looking to the future and I just think moments like that kind of reinforce that for me really
0: So saying looking at the future um, if we say look at the future a year ago we had a lot of academy players playing in the Premiership Cup and then this week we've got that coming up again and those players that played last year in that Cup if you look at our squad now it's built largely on the strength of the academy and developing that talent and Premiership Cup at the weekend do you think there'll be a few new faces or do you think it'll be people that we've seen this year
1: already Uh, I mean I think we'll we see a lot of the, the squad rotation I think um I'm sure there'll be plenty of players who've sat there on the bench or not in the matchday squads who'd be desperate to play. I mean, there's been a long time since we've had a cup game of any sort. um, And I think this is a time to use them. Uh, I I mean, in terms of the cup itself, it's an absolute must win because if we, well, a win would, I suppose, and maybe depending on bonus points, put us top. But the only way to get out of the group is to be top or to be the best place, second place team. Um, And we're already... Four points behind Worcester in that regard. He was second in their group playing Gloucester on 11 points. So if we want to progress, we have to win it. Um, I mean, it would be nice to... I mean, our expectation is obviously very low, but it would be nice to get to a cup final, I guess, and have a chance to, you know, despite how poor the league season's been, you know, it'd be great if we won a cup. You know, how often do we do that? So maybe on paper, they should have a bit of a balance between sort of youth and experience, but I think they will kind of go for those fringe players. And I can see why if they do do that. And that that is what I'm expecting on Friday night.
0: Yes, and on on Friday night, there's one other news or bit of news being made. Um, That is the introduction of a chip inside the ball for the first time in English rugby. Apparently it's been trialled in Super Rugby before, but this is the first time it's going to be in uh, our game. And it, it seems to be that Um, as far as I can tell, it's this little microchip they put inside the ball and then it's got this Data relayed about how fast it spins and all the rest of it. And as far as I can tell, it's all entirely pointless. But it's something that they'll be able to talk about when they're all talking about, oh, George forcing a spiral bomb and it had three million RPM or whatever, and all this sort of thing. But the one thing that it kind of they said it might be able to do would be help refereeing decisions in in forward passes, etc. And then it's got me wondering because at the weekend, oh, he scored, You see, he tries every now and again and scored, but they're like, oh, is that a forward pass? Is it not a forward? Is it beyond the wit of man for Hawkeye to get introduced into rug Because you see a lot of forward passes, and it's the sort of thing where I'm pretty sure if you set it up, especially for international games, you've got goal-line technology in football, or there's a few cameras scattered around the stadium. It can't be that hard to have something similar for rugby, and then they could automatically ping the referee's ear as soon as there's a forward pass.
1: Uh, I think my first question is, what happens if the ball gets a big, hard kick over the stand and gets lost in the car park? Are there no other chip balls or does a ball boy have to dash out and try and find the dead expensive ball or (laughs) Um, I mean, I suppose, I think the obvious parallel for me would be like they do in football VAR for the offside. Um, I think you could kind of run those lines down the pitch, obviously for forward passes. I think in many ways there's a lot, obviously there's parallels with that. And I think there's I would like to see that, I suppose, introduced. And I think um, I mean they're right if you're going to test this stuff out. You know, this is a competition to do it. Um, but I think, you know, when you have the big international games and all the money and resources there to have this technology, I know obviously you've said that perhaps they do go to the TMO too often, etc. But, you know, I think in for a penny, in for a pound almost, if you're going to have this technology, then at least do it. So it covers all bases and, and you do it right. And I think an inclusion of something like that, would, I, I think that'd be useful. Um, and I mean, then it obviously would raise questions, well, how often do you refer to it? You know, it? Is it a case if you do have chip balls, does it set something off on a referee's watch in you know, like goal line technology in football? I don't know, but I think that would be a useful inclusion, actually,
0: I really do. Yeah, so my my personal opinion is get rid of the TMO entirely and just let the referee referee the game and then if someone thumps someone and afterwards the sighting commissioner can have a look at it if they want to it gets referred by the opponents or whatever but if you're going to have it you may as well make it as quick as possible and you see so often that they have 15 different camera angles of a, a try and then is it forward is it not forward and if they just had it sort of constantly running throughout the game you get the tmo now you hear it on the radio or the television or what have you you're watching it on, online or whatever, and you hear the TMO say to the referee, oh, there's a knock on there by whoever. So they're already getting involved. Why not just have it automated or have it so that um, on the in the TMO sitting in his van in the car pole, whatever has a big red button that flashes when it might be. And then they can very quickly just look back at the footage and one bit of review of the footage will be able to show them whether it was or wasn't a, a forward pass because of who it came off. But if the technology's there, then it can speed up all these decisions. And, um, they the, in theory factual. I um, you, you do see on the football on the telly when they get their their lines out and all that. There's and oh, was it a shoelace offside? But it wouldn't be like that. You put put a bit of margin for error, in it maybe a, a degree of forward is allowed, a fraction of a a, a radian or a, a one degree or something. Why, why not have it? If or at least try it out in this sort of context.
1: I mean, I would say that the motion of a ball going forward is probably more definite than you know, like the like you say a football. You know, if someone got a you know. A, ponytail offside or, you know, a shoelace offside or something. I think that, especially if you've got a chip in it, I think that motion will is more definite. I think that will be picked up automatically. And like I say, you know, it can go to a referee's watch or someone or, the there, you know, in a TMO van and it could light up saying, oh, yes, yeah, definitely going forward and you won't have you know, the the constant highlights of, you know, was it forward from various angles and this and that, you know, another thing, slowing the game down. Like you say, it would be just an instant decision the referee there, and then we'll get notification on some device or in his earpiece and say, yeah, definitely forward, and then, right, well, scrum or whatever, let's get on with it.
0: Other games this weekend of interest, obviously those are the internationals. I think the only place to start, really, is the, the sending off at the start of the England game. It's one of these ones where we've discussed it so many times, some weeks it's a yellow, some weeks it's a a red some weeks it's a rugby incident it would seem just depends who the referee is and who the TMO is at the time and how much the opponents roll around on the floor and wave their arms in the air
1: yeah I mean my, my opinion is it probably was a red I think um, he, he didn't go over his arm. it's such a stupid thing to do so early in the game and I, I think on the basis of I think it's definitely red I just wouldn't play Charlie as ever again for England I think that should be his career over you know you, this I do because you have so much competition there you know you get your chance to play for England you're there because, obviously, you think you, you're there for a reason and you get your chance and if you, you blow it. You know, you, you, it's a, it was a must-win game, home to Ireland, the transfer in the Six Nations, and you do something so unbelievably stupid like that. I think it, it, when, but when there is large competition there, for example, Sean Robinson, why should Charlie Hughes be there instead of Sean Robinson? You, you know, you've got people like that who are, you know, under the surface of the England selection. Why should someone like Charlie Hughes take up a place when he has his chance and he blows it like that? Um, I, I just wouldn't play them ever again. Quite frankly. I mean, anyone who does that in a game, I just wouldn't play them again, or at least for a very long time, but probably not ever again. I mean, you know, you get your chance for England and you do something like that, you've blown it. That it for England, didn't it? It was over after 80%. It was just going to be a case of, of how many. I mean, it's, the, the inevitable was delayed, obviously, by sort of the heroic defensive performance. But again, England just undermined by individual moments of stupidity and brainlessness. Now, how many times have we said that over the past few years?
0: Yeah, I reckon in the changing rooms, um, Eddie Jones was say, go out there, boys, use your heads, get get stuck in. And I think he took it a bit too literally when they said use your heads. But um, then also one thing that, yes, we did our extremely good defence and s- scraped our way back into the game with a succession of penalties that were kicked. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. Itoji is a very good rugby player, don't get me wrong. But he does stupid things. And this week, um, was it Stuart had that intercept that got called back when you for whatever reason, just decided to stick his hand in a rook on our own five-meter line? And there's two things that are gonna happen there. You'll you'll obviously get caught, and then you're either gonna give Ireland a free play five meters out from our line, or when Stuart gets the opportunity to run the length of the pitch and go under the post because no one's gonna catch him, he gets pulled back. You just think, why on earth have you done that? There wasn't even like discreet foul play. It was blatantly obvious.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the, the moments of stupidity. The one I picked out was I think a little bit before that actually made lead to that was Ben Young's ridiculous box kick. You know, your play of that sort of experience comes on. Genuinely, I can't remember. I think it was when we were 18, 15 down, but very much still in it. Um, and we were on their twenty-two, looking pretty decent. Looked like, we you know, could come away from something. He just does a ridiculous box kick with absolutely no chance of anyone catching it. I mean, any island player could have sat there you know poured of, you know had a nice sit down you know had a nice cup of tea or whatever waited for it to drop and then sort of call the mark it was ridiculous and not an England player being anywhere near it and then obviously they then go down and they, they eventually get the try to that seals the game and it's individual moments like that and it's and again a frustration because you know they did so well to kind of get back into it and for large parts of that especially when they got 15 all, even before them and the momentum was with them we thought we could actually do this it's going to be a really famous win but it's just individual moments like that which Richard does it um, and it's it's so so frustrating and again do, you know we've said this about England is it the players is it the coaching why is this why do we have this all the time I think again maybe it lies with the coaches perhaps I don't know but yeah incredibly frustrating in the end yeah, it
0: was even more so frustrating for me because this wedding I was at, about midday, I was chatting to a guy there who's obviously um, parents are from Ireland. He was raised in the Lake District, so 100% male's an Irish fan, as, as green as they come. And um, I was chatting to him before, and you know saying, I think england have got a chance here. And also, the Six Nations are still in our hands. It's ours for the taking. If we if we win our next two games, we won the Six Nations. And he was giving it all this, calling me an arrogant Englishman and all the rest of it. And then about... 20 minutes in when it's 15 nil down, I think it was, and we had the red card. He, he started telling me all well, this again, and then I got back to 15 all. And I was going kind to of say, Oh, look at this, you're ready for this. And then, sure enough, they the rest of the hands, and he made my life in misery for the rest of the evening. But um, there was there for the taking um, in certain respects. If, if we'd have had 15 men on the pitch, if we'd have played like we did with 15 men, we would have won that game. Whether we would have played like we did with 15 men. And it sounded like the, the crowd were well up for it in the way that they're not normally at Twickenham. Overall, that's our chance, and it's gone begging. And we've played for 1 2 and lost 2, and we're very close to coming fourth again if we lose at the weekend to France, or
1: potentially fifth. Well, yeah, I think if, if it was 15 or we would have won, especially the way Ireland played. And yeah, we're looking at another disappointing Six Nations again. I mean, you can, unfortunately, nobody's going to remember, particularly in a few years' time, the heroics of being, you know, a man down for nearly the whole game, you just look at the table and think, oh, well, that was the rubbish Six Nations. Um, quite frankly, it was probably all over when they lost to Scotland. Um, I mean, Ireland was always going to be a very hard game. That was kind of 50-50. France away was going to be very, very tough. You know, they had to beat Scotland and then they didn't. So they were always kind of, it was always going to be an uphill challenge to have a successful Six Nations from that point. Um, so for me, it's just every that goes begging. But I know you can't necessarily kind of, Factor in, you know, Charlie use stupidity that base just adds a game to Ireland. Um, a five-point winner that. But it's just never this of Six Nations. And, you know, can we really see it being much better next year, the way France are? Or, you know, how good are Ireland going to be? I don't know. I just think it's a pretty depressing thing in the moment. We've just got to hope that, you know, we can get our act together for the World Cup, which is, you know, I suppose in the day, the thing that really matters.
0: Well, I was thinking about this the other day, and then, if you think of the World Cup finals that England have been in over the years, and the... Excellent performances that England have had. Has there ever been a match where we've played well as a team and had players playing out of position? I.e., are we ever going to have an England performance we're proud of? Whilst we have second rows playing in the back row, we have um, Slade playing at twelve when he's not twelve, and we've got a back three who aren't really wingers playing on the wing. And you just think, I know that Eddie Jones has got this idea of having a team where all the backs can play all the positions, and all the all the forwards apart from the front row can quite happily fill in the backs. But quite honestly, we haven't got the players to do that. And they're never going to be the players to do that because they're all specialists. They play every week at their club in a particular position. And you're never going to have it where yeah, your inside centre can play fullback or on the wing. And I'm not sure you necessarily want it because of the different requirements. And I think Eddie Jones is trying to be this great philosopher and have a lot of proverbs named after him. But the fact of the matter is he's trying to break rugby down, rebuild it into what he has dreamt about, But it's not practical. It's not going to happen. And quite honestly, I think that he's trying to do something that's actually impossible with a winning rugby team. You look at the French. They play these players in their positions, and they play good rugby and they win rugby games because they've got an inside centre that can take it through an offload it. They've got an outside centre that can go on the outside and put a winger away. They've got wingers that naturally play on the wing. They've got a fly half that doesn't have a resort to kick it the first time he catches the ball every match. And I don't think we're ever going to see a good England squad while Sally Jones remains in charge.
1: I think the performances kind of speak for themselves in that there's failures of both attack and defence. In defence, because you have all these players Playing in odd positions. Sometimes, on occasion, they are exposed. And that, at the very highest level in national rugby, that can be all the difference. Just needs to be a split second, the odd split second, the odd instant here and there, and you're done for. Um, and in attack, a bit like the Falcons, where are England's tries—you know, apart from the forwards—again, like where where are the flowing moves? Where are the backs moves to for the tries? I mean, not quite as desperate as Falcons, but you know, again, where we're seeing England games where we're just not scoring enough points. Um, so it just results performance and performances speak to themselves in that it quite clearly the Eddie Jones way just, just simply is absurd and just doesn't work. Very much so. And then one
0: final mention has to go to Blamire, who got his first Six Nations appearance. Albeit for ninety seconds at the end, what's the point? I'm sorry. If you if you're, if you're going to have someone on the bench who you you play, you don't play the ninety seconds. It's almost the risery to, to put someone on for that amount of time. Give him twenty minutes, or if you say the game's lost, just let George play the full game, and then say to Blamire, hard lines next time you'll get a game and you have a decent run out. But now the Six Nations is gone. I hope that he gets a decent spell against France next week and shows what he can really do. Otherwise, just give him back a week sooner and get him back with the Falcons.
1: Well, I mean, Eddie Jones has a habit of this, doesn't he? He's sort of inviting players to tackle bags or whatever and then just sends him away a day later. And not quite as bad as that, obviously, he came on and he got, I suppose, generous in giving him a cap, I guess. But yeah, you, but you see that. Uh, but all levels of the, well, all levels of the professional game, club and country, with these really odd substitutions, almost kind of for the sake of it. Um, and I think that Blamire was, was definitely one. There's no reason why Blamire could have gone, gone on earlier. Maybe they'll just worried all on Jamie George on because, you know, the experienced man, you know, was still in this, et cetera, et cetera, 14 men, whatever. But, you know, we all know how dynamic Blamire is. And you know, if the rest of your team's tiring, that's the sort of outlet you want really. You you want you want him on the ball, you want him causing Ireland all sort of trouble. Um and, uh, just Jamie George, isn't it? Obviously, I think we'd love to see him get as much time as possible against France and score a couple of tries there.
0: Yeah, for me, as soon as we were chasing the game and the, the pitch was getting a bit tired, he should have brought him on because he's going to be the one that can get you a, a line break and an offload away or something in a way that I, I don't think George tends to. George, a lot of when George makes his yards or gets his points, it's just from the back of them all. And yes, he, he can carry it well into contact, with him, but he doesn't have the same sort of... Almost back row style to his game that um, Blamire has at times.
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw Jamie George. I think he's very good when you're a few meters from your position's line. I mean, he's very powerful. He's very effective there. But yeah, I don't, I don't, probably McGuigan actually. I'm not sure of any other hooker who's quite as dynamic in open play as Blamire. And I think if you are, I think if you are losing and you are a bit on the back foot and you are leggy, He is exactly the type of player you want on, as you say, to make those line breaks, to draw in defenders, to to kind of add that extra pace, which is is flagging later on in the game. And to, like you say, can do the offload, can draw the men in, something a bit different from from Jamie George, but, you know, Eddie Jones does what Eddie Jones does. And, you know, like I say, and like you say, hopefully he gets a lot more time in Paris.
0: Yeah, and um, one thing I would say that the the only good thing to come out, not the only good thing, um, one good thing to come out of the game at the weekend is that, I think next weekend, if you happen to be in Dublin or Belfast or any other Irish city or half the pubs in London, you might hear some Irishmen cheering when England score tries because um, Ireland need us to win next week or France get the Grand Slam and win the Six Nations. So it's, not, it's a nice turn up for the books that we might have some uh, Irishmen cheering for us.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, maybe not the most desirable position we want to be at the end of the, <laughs> the, end of the Six Nations, but uh, but it would, be, it would be typically England though, wouldn't it, to turn up and turn over the French in Paris for nothing, just so Ireland can win it. I don't know, actually. Like, I, I think France will win that, but I don't think it's quite as easy to call as perhaps the tables suggest. oddly enough. Because, um, I don't know, you, this is a real test for the French, though, isn't it? You know, they've got almost sort of one hand on the trophy. You know, will they do the normal French thing and flop? Or you know, is this French team a bit different and can actually kind of see it out and get their elusive Six Nations in Grand Slam? But I suppose we'll have to see, won't we? If I'm honest, I hope they do,
0: but yeah. um, that might not be popular. But I've, I, I don't. I, let's be honest. I don't care about England's Six Nations anymore. Whether we win or lose next week, it's been a, it's been a once again a shambles. And let's just hope the French win because I think that we need to have that sort of rugby played. Nothing that encourages that sort of rugby or encourages coaches to even try that sort of game plan. Is what the game needs. So for, for too long, it's just been this kind of formulaic robots versus robots, whereas the French is very much not that. So um fingers crossed they've... They, oh, sounds bad. Fingers crossed the French beat us. <laughs> for the good of the game, not for the good of everyone. <laughs> everyone <to be laughs> not sure
1: not sure I'll come out with that, but they do definitely deserve to to win it. I think, hands down, they're they're the best team.
0: Yeah, so if we look at a few other best teams from the week, on Saturday, um, Worcester beat Exeter 35 points to 21, bit of a turn up there. And Leicester beat London irish 47 points to 28, it's quite a high-scoring one. Obviously, we lost 21 points to 36 against Saracens. And Sale pipped Gloucester 26 points to 24. On Sunday in the Premiership, Bristol got beaten by Harlequins, 38 points to 29, and Northampton beat Wasps, 27 points to 22. In the Six Nations, as we just discussed, Italy lost 22 points to 33 against Scotland, and England lost 15 points to 32 against Ireland, whilst on Friday night, Wales got beaten by France, and France, to be fair, actually made pretty hard work of that one, but anyway, so that leaves the premiership table as we stand. It's not going to make nice reading. Leicester at the top on 76 points, Saracens on 64, Harlequins on 63, Exeter on 56, Gloucester on 54 with a game in hand over Exeter, so Gloucester could very easily go into the top four positions, London Irish on 53, Sale are 52, Northampton of 48, Wasps of 44, Bristol of 35, Worcester now ahead of us on 30, we have 26, whilst Bath have 25. So there we are. Um, we're not quite at the bottom yet, thanks to that um, over against Sale on Boxing Day, but it's not looking too pretty. And if we just do a quick Six Nations roundup, just so you get the, the picture there. Um, France at the top and beaten on uh, 18 points. Ireland on 16. Both England and Scotland on 10. Wales have six and Italy have zero. So if we get our crystal ball out and look ahead at Saturday's Six Nations games which they all are. Wales play Italy so you'd expect five points to Wales there. Ireland play Scotland and France play England so if Scotland get a bonus point English finish fifth assuming Wales beat Italy which obviously isn't good. If we just go to a quick regional roundup um, we had Darlington Madden Park getting beaten by Sale FC obviously the amateur club at- uh, Sale uh, by 36 points to 14. Bladen won again, this time against Hull Ionians, 36 points to 26, which lifts them out of the bottom two. And Harrogate uh, got beaten by Tyndale, 26 points to 16. Annick won 75 points to nil against Northwich, whilst Billingham lost to Blackburn. And then a the modern northeast Durham City drew with old Brodillians. Uh, concert got beaten by Moulton and Norton, and Morpeth won by a point down at Scarborough. Um, points all over the place again in the Durham Northumberland leagues, but I think score of the week, unusually, goes to one of the higher clubs, being Anick with their seventy-five points to nil win at home over Northwich. But it has to be said, Northwich aren't doing well this year, but still nice high scores. Uh, another honorable mention has to go to Darlington, maybe Redcar seventy-four points to seven. But um, once again, Darlington seems to be getting high scores most weeks in that league. So we look forward to Friday night, and hopefully, 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 it's the point where we can make a turning point in the season and the podcast can be a bit more rosy going in but fingers crossed as always thanks for listening bye everyone